Hello and welcome to the Sound on Sound podcast about electronic music and all things synth. I'm Carisee and in this episode we're talking to Sam Battle, better known as Look Mum No Computer. And yes, he is of the digital age but prefers to keep it analogue. Sam is a maker, inventor and musician inspired by 80s pop and he is certainly carving out his own path with almost half a million YouTube subscribers and a solid Patreon following. He's even set up a museum in Ramsgate in Kent in the south of England where you can get your hands on his inventions alongside other experimental and obsolete science and music technologies. It was so much fun to hear about his somewhat unique inventions and creative approach. To get us started, here's a sample of the Furby organ. Thank you very much for chatting to us today, Look Mum No Computer, a.k.a. Sam. Thank you very much, Cara. It's a pleasure to be uh, chatting with you today. Excellent. Loads of amazing work that you're doing that I can't wait to unpack a bit. Um, I guess we're going to have to start with um, you defining yourself and what you would describe yourself as what you do. I'm not sure. I guess I am a musician tinkerer uh it's it's a very strange thing i suppose when you become like trying to get along uh, in the creative kind of world nowadays you, you try and cover as many things as you can and at some point you look back and go uh how, what do i describe myself at a dinner party and I, I just don't know i don't know what i would i haven't been to a dinner party recently you're an inventor I don't, I don't know. I don't know because, yeah, I, I'm not sure. <laughs> I, yeah, from what I gather, you're an inventor, you're a maker, you're a musician, definitely, because I was thinking about the fact that it is more analogue and you're doing it all on the fly. I started off using hardware and I've now gone digital, more digital. But in a sense, there's a different kind. There's more physical musicality, isn't there? Uh, yep. Yeah, um, I mean, I do a bit of both, to be honest, because, uh, like, I think the whole... The whole going to the physical realm quite a lot was uh, probably started fully. I mean, I was messing around with it quite a bit beforehand, but I just got sort of sick of uh, a band that I was in previously. We were touring with Ableton and stuff. And just a few times, there was just no reason why it wouldn't work. And there was no way to fix it because it was on a computer and we were just getting annoyed and it was all having to boot it up and all that stuff. I just got utterly sick of the idea of having to rely on something something like that so I'd sort of moved out of it and um, having used Logic for many years I felt like I needed to uh, uh, figure out my sound in other means. (laughs) Yeah 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 sort of find your sound world in beyond beyond the digital dependency. Yes yeah yeah yeah. And how did that come about then where how did you start to explore more hardware? Well uh, regarding the hardware it all came from a DIY kind of standpoint of uh, when I when I started looking at hardware and stuff I I I, well, I can I couldn't really afford much anything to be honest so I was um I started with uh, DIY stuff when I was I think I was probably like I mean I I was t- playing around with electronics when I was a kid but then I built a guitar pedal uh, in 
Well, I think year 10, I don't know what year that is, age that is, that's about like... 15, about 15. 15, and yeah. I just, I read, I was in the library, I remember I took a book that was like a Queen biography, I read it, and I think they got it wrong, because I don't think this is right after looking at it, but it said, John Deacon made Brian May a Dallas Rangemaster copy, which is a, a treble-boosting pedal. I was like, oh, that's cool, maybe if I build one of those, I can sound like Brian May. Uh, and uh, like I built it. It took two months because I didn't know anything. Like at, at that time, there wasn't a massive amount of. I didn't know where to look on the internet. Nobody was able to help because nobody else knew around me or anything. My dad was nice enough to drive me to the um, electronics shop. Uh, I picked up a load of things. I got it wrong. Yeah, it took me two months. But the second I turned it on, there was that magical sensation of like being like, "Holy moly, this works!" I mean, it sounds absolutely rubbish, and I don't think it's supposed to sound like that, but it works, and that is so cool. And that feeling of actually making something. At this time, I think I only had like, I don't think I had a pedal. I didn't have any other pedals. I just had a guitar, an amplifier. The idea of building a pedal, because I, for some reason I didn't really, I didn't even know that you could get pedals. I didn't know they existed, like you could buy them at the shops. <laughs> it was a bit stupid. This was at the point where I was um, uh, recording onto Logic and I didn't know that there was like plugins on Logic. So there was like no... Uh, synths and stuff and at that time I didn't even know what synths were to be honest I, I saw keyboards I didn't know I did were, you know like sometimes people it's weird now I think there's a, the last five years maybe it's become a little bit more of a main thing for people for the punter to potentially see like the, like the 2000s probably a lot of people forgot even they they were a, a, a main thing it was just like oh the electric sounds the electronic sounds, like the sampler in Slipknot or something. It's like, what do they do? Wooka, wooka, wooka. It's, uh, <laughs> I'm not really sure. So, um, yeah, yeah. And uh, I just didn't have a clue what any of it was. I just kept on playing guitars and playing Logic. And then somebody one day went on my Logic and opened up this tab and then just loaded a synth thing. And, uh, and, they, and they played it on the keyboard. I was like, what are you doing? That's amazing. And I, I, at that time, I'd been using like Logic as a tape recorder kind of style thing for like, yeah, four or five years. <laughs> and it just went, well, boom. Uh, simps were, yeah, and then simps happened. And uh, after a while, I felt uh, like I needed to mix my electronics, uh, love for electronics with, well, with synthesizers and stuff. Uh, at that time, I, I've got, I think I, I kind of figured out quite quickly on that I didn't like plug-in sounds purely because... Uh, all of the presets, they all sound too, too. there's too much stuff going on. Like I hate it. Like when, you know, you click on a preset and it's like all of the delays are loaded, everything's loaded. And it also, you, when you push your finger down, it automatically sounds like a uh, key gen music. It's like... So the only ever Logic plugin I ever really kind of found myself enjoying and stuff was actually the Garage Band analog mono which was just like it, i think it was like just a line of um yeah the the controls on an analog mono synth but on the computer and and that was the closest that i got to feeling like the sound that i wanted because it was just simple and it just didn't have any fluff and you just could adjust it so quite quickly on i i didn't really vibe with presets because it sounded like the stuff that i didn't like on the radio <laughs> And so at which point did you sort of start to build? Was it since you build first or was it drum machines? Yeah. So um, I was, uh, and then at that time, uh, me and my friend decided to try a circuit bending because uh, somebody at college was just showed us, oh, there was a TV program and it was like, oh, circuit bend. I was like, whoa, what, what is that? So we bought some uh, secondhand toys from the charity shop, broke them, 
And then after that, I started working. He got bored of it. I just kept on trying it. And I got a Game Boy and figured out that there, you could make music on the Game Boy. I was like, well, this is mad. You can make music. It sounds way better. than It sounds more like... <laughs> It's more like raw kind of sound to it than on the things that I was messing around with Logic. It just sounded a bit more, I don't know. And it was just a decision that I was like, it just sounds nicer. And it's like, it's not that it sounds nicer, but it sounded worse. But I like it sounding worse. I don't like nice sounds. Yeah, yeah there's a kind of visceral, there's a visceral edge to um, a couple of your videos, like live videos that I've seen that, um, that yeah, I really love. And that's all the analog noise, isn't it, basically? Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a lot of analog noise and stuff coming from like liking full bands and stuff, band performances. Uh, and there's another element, which is, well, I'll get to with the modular Simpsons stuff. It, it feels like, even though it's, you know, you're playing it through the electronic stuff. It feels like a live band is playing in your face. It it sounds like a live band is playing in your face purely because it sounds worse, but in a visceral kind of manner. And you know, when it all sounds too prim and proper, and it, you know, I, it's just not my not my not my cup of tea. Yeah, yeah, and it, also it's that thing of it's all the harmonics are clashing and stuff like that, aren't they? Which makes it feel like there's more of a collective thing going on yeah yeah definitely and it's like you watch a band like you know a live performance of it and it's just yeah it's just a bit rough around the edges and it's very hard to simulate that uh i mean it probably is possible but it's just a bit more of a it's a quite a faff in the computer realm i think after that well i bought um i found on ebay there was a broken korg ms10 and at this point, I didn't even know that Lord, uh, that synthesizers existed out of the computer. <laughs> I thought it was like, oh, there's a Game Boy that does it. And I was like, I wonder if there's any like real versions of these. And I, 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 basically, I don't really look on the internet. I, I don't really watch TV or films or anything. I, I think I've only made it through about three or four films fully. But like, uh, I found a broken Korg MS-10. Uh, after about six months, I managed to fix it. Before that, I didn't even, like the envelope generator wasn't working. So I was just playing with it. With it without an envelope generator, it was still was fine. I managed to come up with some good riffs that I've kept throughout that I've tried to compose songs around. So I got that kind of sound going. And after a while, it's that sort of built into finally finding on the internet that synthesizers and modular synthesizers existed and building things, messing around with circuits, and sort of somewhat coming to a point where I think in 2013, 2014, maybe I was like, I'm going to try and make the full sound and stuff going out of electronics that I've built, well, I allow out of real electronics fully. So everything's there and I don't need to go on the computer and then get sidetracked and go on, I don't know, the internet looking at on YouTube or something. Um, and that was like the aim and it sort of kind of built into, I didn't even intend it potentially, just to sounding, yeah, um, the way I wanted it to sound. Coming from uh, songwriting in a rather pop kind of stance, like I did a couple of years of solid songwriting sessions for other people, and that made me sick of logic, I've got to say. Uh, the idea of having too many sounds at your disposal, I find, personally, not from, I, I'm more of a composition kind of person than a soundscape kind of person. I've tried to get a soundscape that I like and stick to it. But I find that like, if you have too many at your disposal, then you you can't focus on the composition. Sometimes, that's for me. Maybe, maybe other people have found the magic method. But um, when a band is playing in a rehearsal room, they don't have a million sounds. You know, they've got the drums. The drums are like that sound. The bass, maybe a couple of pedals, but that's three bass sounds, uh, four or five guitar sounds, and that's about it. And then you focus on the composition. You focus on what the song is doing. And I find that that is why I went to modular synthesizers, not because there's a 
unlimited amount of sounds and an unlimited possibilities is because it's extremely limited and you can curate your limited world to make the songs you want. So tell us more about your, yeah, your explorations and experience with, with the modular stuff. Uh, modular stuff. Well, it's, it's, it's interesting, I guess. I mean, I, I don't know. It's, it's, I, I, I talk to some people, they're like, what, 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 why do you do that? I don't know why I do that, I've got to be honest. Uh, I, I started doing it with DIY and it was taking a really long time to learn it all. And I got kind of sick and I was like, oh, I wish I could afford some Eurorack. I sold some things, I think, and I bought a little system for a little bit. And, and I, amazingly enough, like I couldn't get the sounds that I wanted out of it. And and after a while, I realized that like I need to sort of most, like some of the modules were good. And in fact, a couple of the dope for modules, I was I like this, I can't replicate this. So I took the out of the panel, pulled the panel off and rewired it behind my one, just because then it's because mine is a different size to Eurorack. It's 20 centimeters tall and big jacks. And um, yeah, I just found that I had to build it. And mine were worse, technically than the Eurorack ones, which in some respects actually made it sound more like the way I wanted it to. Like the the uh, the waveforms, I didn't realise, but a lot of um, the, the waveforms go through the zero voltage, so it dips to minus and plus voltage. So you've got that kind of, that's what an oscillator should do. But and unknowingly when I was making mine, I made it so it only goes in positive voltage, but that means you get a very unsymmetrical kind of distortion, and I prefer it. Yeah, and so yeah, you sell, don't you? Is it the Cosmo? Yeah, synth? like yeah. there's a so um, in 2019, I decided that um, my synth kept on breaking on tour. Uh, there was a few different times where it started to become kind of a thing uh, when playing the gig. It's like, oh no, uh, I've broken something. People thought I was so prepared for something to break that they thought it was part of the set, but every time it was something different broken and it was just having to bypass it. And I realized that this is problematic. So I had to start designing them on circuit boards. And uh, I figured whilst I'm doing that, I may as well share the journey so people can build their own um, similar machine from these findings. And people seem to enjoy it. It's quite good. It's quite good. And um, the only thing that breaks it now is probably, probably moisture. And that's uh, like, there's been a couple of times where <laughs> there was this small gig and some some guy, it was fine. I had, I'd like, they had, they were putting beers on top of the synth whilst I was playing, which is fine. Like I'd let them stack it. But then somebody walked into the synth and it all fell down and uh, like uh, the bottom power supply on the bottom one broke and I had to have it fit. I had to fix it for the next day, but it's lucky I was able to fix it because I had a bunch of spare, big old bag of, <laughs> that's the sound of it. It went, <laughs> just loads of random electronics. But <laughs> I'm not particularly precious with things and that's why I really can't buy new things because um the value that I own it it goes like that make sure not to buy pristine condition things as you could tell with the microphone <laughs> that's amazing when yeah when you make stuff but just don't give you just yeah nobody should give you new stuff <laughs> just give you broken stuff and you'll make it work <laughs> of course yeah yeah broken stuff uh because it can work and then yeah if it gets a bit dented then it's okay <laughs> yeah so talking of broken things you've got a newish project called um what is it the museum this museum is not obsolete that's it yeah <laughs> tell us about that so this museum is not obsolete is a museum full of 
stuff. And basically, I've been doing YouTube videos. It's weird, like, ending up doing YouTube videos. It wasn't even something I was focusing on. I just, um, in 20, end of 2016, I started doing videos about what I was making and stuff. And yeah, I just somehow ended up doing more and it sort of worked. But over that amount of time, I ended up with a lot of stuff um, to do videos on. And there was a point where I was like, I should start trying to do videos on weird, curious old things as well as the things that I build. So I just ended up with a load of stuff and it was costing a load of money to store all of this stuff because I wanted to keep it just in case somebody asked, us, oh, can I see this thing? It's like, sure, because if I bought it and then sold it, I wouldn't. So I just ended up with loads of stuff and it ended up costing loads of money to store it. And I found, I found I've did some maths and it was cheaper to... Um, set up a museum <laughs> so i've got a museum full of stuff that i've built and full of old stuff there's a whole load of things there's uh the machines that i built the thousand oscillator mega drone furby organ yeah that doesn't work right now i've got to fix it game boy mega machine there's an owl organ made from a load of owls that's built by the nervous squirrel but then there's a load of old old things like um i've got a i've got a full telephone exchange the uh, so that's a bit of a dangerous thing, but the plan is that that calls up all of the uh, all of the synthesizers and music making devices in the building. But that's a that's a big wiring job. Wow, where is it then? Where is this museum? Uh, so this museum is in Ramsgate, uh, which is a coastal town. You come for the seaside. It's next to Margate, and uh, funnily enough, we are next to uh, the Micro Museum, which is an old computer museum. So you, the plan is you come along, look at all the old computers look at all the old musical and scientific equipment and stuff over here and go and see the sea and have some fish and chips, maybe. Yeah, sounds <laughs> ace. Fantastic. And, um, yeah, so talking about some of your inventions, there's lots that I'd love to talk about. I think one of your most recent ones is an installation that's coming up, an interactive one that's around Teletubbies. Yeah, Teletubbies. So I decided to start collecting this specific type of Teletubby a couple of years ago. It's a 1990s specific Teletubby that does this weird dance. It's very fluid. It's a lovely dance. It's like, and it's, it's so strange. And I was like, I'm going to try and find as many of these as I can. I just, why not? Nobody else was, but this is another thing. I love finding things that nobody else wants. Uh, it's just uh, it's like, why would you want it? So like, I'll find a use for it. And I figured by the time I have enough, I'll have an idea. And it was just like, you know, a big stadium cascading wave of all of these Teletubbies going down. It's not super musical, but they all sing at the same time. However, they all sing out of sync. So it's just going to be an unheavenly noise of Teletubbies just going. It will be done in a, a week or two. It's going to be it's going to be equally awful, but super awful. I mean, <laughs> and that's going to be an installation that um, the public can come along and play. It would be indoors. Uh, first, it's going to be outdoors wow. uh, in the Ramsgate Festival of Sound. For it's going to be open for five days. There's a good chance it'll get broken, but that's just the way the world works. And then after that, I'm going to set it up down the hallway of the museum so people can just play all of them. It's about uh, I've got 50 of these Teletubbies, but uh, it's funny. Somebody said somebody said you don't hear this uh, this statement very often. It's like, but I'm going to find the 40 best Teletubbies. Of the pile. Yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. No, no, that is, um, that is, it's an important mission in life. Yes. Um, and um, can you tell us a bit about how these are being triggered then, um, both by the, the, the person using them as well as how you're getting it all to work, getting them to do their moves? Of course, of course. Uh, so some people may think this is quite a Luddite kind of point of view, but I feel like I'm 
I'm not a Luddite. I'm just trying to find alternatives towards the modern, bloated digital world because the digital world is really built on top of stuff and it's just so bloated. I mean, it's it's been reworked at the minute, like with all of the progressions with other, other technology. But right now we're in a dangerous world where, you know, computers just stop working for no reason. And it's not down to a physical thing, which is relatively easy to fix. Like you like have a look in, have a test around. Or it's like, oh, it's that chip gone. It's like, ah, what is wrong with it? It's just so bloated. But this is why I'm not using microprocessors for something like this. So um, the, the machine is basically, you push a button and uh, that sends um, a signal down this cascading run of relays uh, relays are electromechanical switches, and these are triggered by things called serial to parallel shift registers. And these things, uh, basically, they're made to transfer serial data into parallel data, but the parallel data is relays. And you push the button, and it's a load of logic and relays that just turn the Teletubbies on one by one. And as it goes along, it's a really simple idea, but it's just very big multiplication. It's much like the Thousand Oscillator Megadrome, which is a simple idea but a big multiplication of that idea. So the thousand oscillator megatron is like a four meter wide, two and a half, three meter tall uh, wall. I know it's pretty grotesque, a wall of a thousand oscillators. Uh, I don't know why I built it. I was just like, I've built a hundred oscillator megatron. What does a thousand sound like? Because a hundred wasn't enough. <laughs> and so what does a thousand sound like? Sounds nearly the same as a hundred. <laughs> <laughs> no, it, it it's sort of it's. A, I find the most amazing thing about it is uh, uh, the reason of uh, the output is very low on all of the oscillators, just because uh, when they get added together, the volume just gets incredibly high, much higher than you'd think. Like yeah. I'm, I'm yeah. not, I'm not much of a mathematician. I'm more of a There's you know something additive tinkerer. going on there. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a very additive thing, and it just keeps on going up. <laughs> Wow. Every I've got this uh, button controller, and you could just put your old arm over it like that, boom, and it plays all of them. And just you can test how much louder it gets every hundred oscillators you add. It's quite wow. preposterous. Wow! And so was that just the same little circuit, if you like, that you just built and soldered a thousand times? Yep, <laughs> I did it in the first lockdown. It took, uh I don't know. It was in, it was very boring, but it's just like it's it's just a, a job. In the end of the day, you've just got to get it done. It's like working. It's like a sort of a factory. Like I think I did all of a soldering. Took me about a month of just um, yeah, about eight hours of soldering a day, maybe. Yeah, that's the thousand oscillator beast. Um, and let's talk about the Crystal Palace because, um, yeah, obviously my work um, through Delia Derbyshire Day and the Radiophonic Workshop, um, I remember Dick Mills, um, Delia's assistant, making the Doctor Who theme and obviously worked on, he worked for the Radiophonic Workshop himself um, and him telling me about this Crystal Palace and how it was, um, he he'd, he'd had sort of a guide document that went with it. Basically, the, the document is titled um, Necessity is the Mother of Invention. And so talking and telling us about Dave Young's Crystal Palace, which is, made from is it a fountain pen a tobacco tin yeah you know so everything in there is is repurposed you made your own version basically yeah yeah pretty much it's a little bit of a different because that that his is more capacitance the way it spins around and reads it but basically Heimbach messaged me one day and said have you seen this 
I was like, no, no, it looks cool. I looked at the picture. He said, oh, you should make it. And then he was like, oh, I've got an idea. Now you're making it. He's doing a plug-in, and I did that. And then so what would, What happened was I looked at the picture once, and I decided not to look at it or research it and just build what I thought it was. I didn't even know what it did at the time. Luckily, I've, it, it, the thing that I built was nearly sort of what it did. My girlfriend's an academic, and I drive her crazy. She's like, where was the research? You gotta research everything, <laughs> but um, uh, like uh, so I built it. Uh, I just was sitting there. I was like, how should I build this? Because I, I thought when I looked at the picture of it, I thought it was uh, um, more of a like a jukebox switch where it was um, what they call a slip ring, where uh, there's a bit of um, uh, bra- uh, metal that spins on top of this disc and flicks between a different like a spinning disc of uh, switches. So it'd be like, but the problem with that is it would have been like really. Uh, solid changes like a bit of beep boop boop beep boop boop which probably at times might have been funky but um, I just used two guitar pickups to start with so one was acting as a speaker one was acting as a microphone listen that works and then I used a thing, uh, basically a ferrite um, inductors which are basically just single guitar tape pickup things you can use them for a load of things multiplying voltages um, filters and things like that well you can use that and then you can listen, but then I found that it was listening too wide of a field. A tape head listens in a really limited field, like so. I got a tape head for the microphone, and then a load of these uh, inductors around in a circle, and just plumped it together. Tried to. It was a really messy design. I, I designed it in a real rush. It took about a day and a half to actually put like figure out, but. Uh, yeah, it was cool. It turned out really well. Uh, the, if I did it again, I'd do it way differently. But that's just what you do. It'll probably look a lot more like the Crystal Palace if I built it again. <laughs> yeah, and so it, I mean, the original was like a capacitive sequencer, wasn't it? So yeah, um, was it? It was to do the faders and things like that, as opposed to what how would we would describe a sequencer now. But um, in terms, so what was yours doing the same function? How were you? How were you able to use it? Because I know you did a kind of live performance with it, didn't you? Yeah. Well, actually, the application was the same which I'm quite relieved about. So the way I, mine went in was uh, there was uh, every single of these, um, the speakers, electromagnetic speakers, uh, had an input and they they were cascaded in such a way that you could pl- only plug two uh, signals in if you wanted to. But it actually worked, worked the same as the Crystal Palace. So instead of a sequencer nowadays where um, it would be running on more like control voltages and that's controlling something like an oscillator or something. It's more like a crossfader that crossfades between different sounds. Theirs uses capacitance, mine used electromagnetism, but they actually ended up being the same in application. <laughs> yeah. And so um, apart from the Teletubbies project, what else have you got? What else are you building or destroying or making at the moment? There's a lot of uh, things. Uh, there's this uh, machine that I've been building for the last couple of years. It's driving me mad because it's just way more complicated than I thought it was going to be called the Game Boy Mega Machine, which is uh, turning 50 Game Boys into a digital analog hybrid polyphonic synthesizer. And it's, it's a nightmare. But the, the other day I put in two stereo Leslie speakers underneath. Uh, Leslie speakers are the rotating speakers. And uh, yeah, I need to finish it. That's one thing. There's a load of things that I need to finish. Uh, telephone exchanges need to wire it up to the internet so people can call in here and then listen to whatever synthesizer or sound-making device they want to listen to. But I, I tend to try and build 
uh, at least a couple of things every week. So who knows? Every week. Wow. Yeah, <laughs> I know. It's pretty stupid. It's fantastic. It's fantastic. So much energy. So where are you at kind of musically at the moment then? What's exciting you in terms of what you can make or what you want to make musically? Uh, yeah, well, right now I'm working on an album. Uh, everything that I've been doing is EP so far. And uh, I've been sitting down and um, because I write my songs, I don't write my songs with synthesizers. I write my songs in the shower. Uh, so uh, whatever sticks, whatever melodies and vocals and stuff um, remain with me longer than a week uh, tend to turn into a song. So that's how that's so I'm just doing that. I'm going through all of my my whistles basically and turning them into songs. There's a new song out in about in about two weeks, and uh, yeah, uh, that's that. And usually I tend to write in a very um uh, you know like um three or four minute long song and that's the kind of music I like I've, I've always been into that kind of stuff Elvis Costello the Human League is probably my favourite kind of soundscape for music and um, so that's what I'm doing so I'm also writing songs as well and how do you use your voice then do you put loads is there loads of processing with that or do you keep it quite raw and human if you like uh, I try and keep it quite raw and human, to be honest. Like the way the way it sets, uh, I, I set up everything is just. It's like uh, I call my synth Cosmo. Cosmo's like the musicians, and I'm like the singer, basically. It's a it's a weird thing trying to mix my kind of taste of music with my kind of taste of technology. Uh, and um, I find that the YouTube videos, I try and make sounds and weird soundscapes and compositions for them that are different to the music that I would make personally. And I, I you know, there's two areas of what I like to do really there's no rules in the end of the day so how do you like to record it then do you like to record it live or do you do more sort of multi-tracking and and, and arranging post recording if you like yeah I use a digital mixer that all of the synths go into and every gig I record it and there's things that I make up at the show in fact a few of the last EP that I put out songs wise are recordings from the gigs but I just re-recorded the vocals because they sounded like dog poo so usually it's just um i perform it in a take use it use the recorder as a tape machine and then have to record the vocals over the top again but usually that's that's as that's as far as it goes like so i just try and make sure it's all composed and sorted beforehand and like um there's a few videos for instance the last song i put out which is u u3500 i did a live version of a live video of the song, which is pretty much exactly how I recorded it for the recorded version. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And then do you do all your mixing and mastering and stuff yourself or do you have someone else? Do you send that to someone else? It's different every time. So I'd mastering every, I'd send to somebody else purely because I don't really, uh, I'm not very good at that. And I, it's funny, like I've, with the mixing wise, I found that the less I try, the better it seems to turn out. Uh, I'm not sure. It's been it, obviously like sound on sound, the technical things, but it's a weird journey with like um, mixing and music and production and stuff. For instance, there's like there's a there's a there's a song that I made with a guy called Barnes Courtney called Glitter and Gold, and I did this in. We recorded this as a songwriting session, just as a demo. I had a webcam microphone, USB. And this was using logic because, but but we literally used all manner of random rubbish. It took us four hours to do. I they they asked for the stems because I thought they were sending it to another producer to produce, and they ended up just mixing it and putting it out. And this thing on Spotify, it's like had 120 million listens and stuff like that. It's crazy. It's like, and it's the top one. It's like that took us five hours. So there's no like real matchup between the thing. It's actually I listen back to it. So like, oh, it actually sounds pretty good. It's like. 
but we didn't try at all. Like, like literally, like the drums are all Tupperware boxes and like a roto tom that's uh, the bass drum was a roto tom. I just really detuned, detuned <laughs> and stuff like that. So like, how did that do that? <laughs> Sometimes that's, I think most, most bands that, uh, that you've read about almost, you know, I'm thinking Simon Garfunkel, Beatles, all these different people, um, now Rogers, they'll, they'll talk about it's those moments where you capture it is just the humanity and it's the raw energy and you just get it out there and you just put it out there. Sometimes they are the ones that, that resonate more with people. Yeah. That, um, yeah, that can, that, you're right. There's a certain, this is finding your place and your balance in terms of the amount of production that you want to do and all the rest of it. So, um, so in terms of sort of, um, I know you're working with Patreon. How does that work for you? And, and yeah, how do you work that? Yeah, well, I treat Patreon as somewhat of a job because that's what sort of um it funds the machines everything that goes into patreon basically gets spent on videos and uh, as the patrons uh been helping more and more it just goes the machines get a little bit more elaborate um so like i usually like i pay i pay my bills and uh, like just a uh, home and stuff with songwriting and stuff and then yeah all of the machines and stuff are and the museum is funded by patreon and um yeah, I basically I, I do loads of live streams on there and stuff, and it's just people sign up for a subscription, and they get they get sample packs, a video or a live stream every other day and stuff like that. It's just loads of random stuff, but it's been an amazing tool. I must be honest, and I'm extremely grateful for that situation as it's made the what I do, which doesn't make sense, and I haven't got a clue how the heck it happened. But what I do is a somewhat of a job. And it's amazing because, like, I wake up and I work from maybe nine nine in the morning till probably one in the morning every single day. I don't do any holidays or anything, much to my girlfriend's dismay. I go to the pub a couple of times with my girlfriend, but I cannot do anything else but work. And I'm I'm so grateful for having the opportunity, uh, thankfully, from support on Patreon to be able to be allowed to do that. Wow. Wow, that's amazing. It's amazing. Yeah, I think more than anything, in if you have the line of work, I can relate to that in terms of you basically it's it's amazing to be paid to be learning all the time isn't it really that's yes. what you're doing yeah that is the biggest thing like learning is just um it's the best thing to do with your time brilliant amazing so if people want to find you on patreon how do they find you uh yeah i mean i usually link it on all of my videos and stuff and if you'd look up look mum no computer on patreon and stuff and yeah all that money basically goes into this museum which has turned into a little bit of a money pit but people are coming in and enjoying it and um hopefully it's over time it's going to be yeah educate aiming to educate and inspire people hopefully Fantastic. or just annoy them I'm not sure <laughs> <laughs> it all has its place yeah <laughs> <laughs> thought provoking and all that brilliant cool well thank you so much for your time today it's really interesting to hear about your work yeah thank you very much it's been very enjoyable thank you for listening and be sure to check out the show notes for further information as well as links and details of the other episodes in the electronic music series and just before you go let me point you to soundonsound.com forward slash podcasts where you can explore what's on our other channels this has been a Caro C production for Sound on Sound Sound